Uh, who has the last word? Uh, that is often what confronts uh, us when we're drawn into an argument with someone. In fact, we'll even do childish things to make sure that we are the one that has the last word, perhaps uh, shouting something out and then uh, running off or slamming a door or hanging up the phone, uh, as if being the last one to speak somehow meant anything. Uh, who has the last word? Uh, stepping back, uh, that's a bigger question, not just about winning arguments, but really it's a question about authority. Uh, who has the last word? Who has the final say? Uh, when all is said and done, whose words will prevail? Uh, we face this every day in our families, in the workplace, even at church. Uh, we find this especially when we're drawn into conflicting opinions. Uh, you can't always arrive at a consensus, unfortunately, and so whose words will win out? Well, that's exactly the question that God lays before us in this passage this morning. In verse 25, we are told about an argument. Look down at verse 25 with me. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. The Jew here is probably a Jewish leader. The discussion, more of a heated debate. Uh, we aren't 100% sure what this was all about, probably about Jewish laws that related to uh, cleansing or ceremonial washing. Uh, who is right? That was the main concern. Uh, were the Jews or was John correct on this particular religious question? Uh, but after defending John, notice uh, what John's disciples do. In fact, it's quite a surprise, really, uh, but immediately it flags up this big question, who has the last word? I mean, we might expect them to go to John and kind of recap the debate, explain how effective they were at defending his position. Uh, but what do they do there in verse 26? Look at what we read. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, why did this debate with the Jew push them to ask John about Jesus? Well, here is the deal. What they want to know really is this. Who is right? Who has the final word? When it comes to purification, the Jews say one thing. John, you say another. But what about Jesus? We've been defending you, but now everyone seems to be leaving us and going to him. Now, who should we listen to? Now, in the specific context, of course, this is addressing a, a religious question. But we can expand this, can't we? Who has the last word about religion as a whole? Who has the last word in our homes? Who has the last word in our workplace? Whose words wins out here at church? Who do we listen to at the end of the day? Is it the Jews? Is it John? Or is it Jesus? Is it dad? Is it mom? Or is it the kids? Is it the elders? Is it the pastor? Is it the congregation? These are all such vital questions. They're very practical. In fact, we, in reality, can't avoid them, can we? And yet, here is the problem. According to John, uh, his disciples have got it completely wrong. Uh, by framing their concern in this way, they've made a fatal mistake. The Jews, John or Jesus, uh, as if these three are all just equals. Uh, they're bringing Jesus down to our level, treating Jesus like just another option on the a la carte menu of religious opinions. Uh, and let's be honest, we tend to do the same thing with Jesus at times. We relativize the things that Jesus says. Uh, we treat his words as if it's something to weigh, something to debate, something to discuss. 
Uh, we allow our arguments to become a battle between two wills rather than an opportunity for us to submit together to one whose will is far greater. And through his word today, God calls us out on this. Uh, who has the final word he calls us to ask ourselves in our homes, in our personal life, in our work? If you're a Christian, there is one answer and one answer alone. Jesus should have the final word in everything. And what we need more than anything as individuals, as a church, as society, is to recognize this, uh, that Jesus has ultimate authority in everything we do and say and think. And uh, we learn this uh, in this passage. But not only do we learn that, but we also discover why. Why is Jesus without equal? Why should we listen to him in everything? Why, when he speaks, should it silence every debate? It is because of who he is. Because he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And because he is the fullness of God in the flesh. In fact, here are the three things that we're going to see as we look at John chapter 3. Uh, firstly, we'll see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. He's the fulfillment of all God's promises. And then secondly, uh, Jesus is more than that. He is the fullness of God in human flesh. He's the fullness of God in the flesh. And then finally, as a result of all of that, uh, here is the big point. Uh, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises, because he is the fullness of God in the flesh, and Jesus has the final word. Jesus has the final word in everything. In fact, having laid that out, let's dive right in. Uh, firstly, Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all of God's promises find their yes and amen in him. Uh, you could put it this way. Uh, when Jesus came, he didn't come simply to add a little bit extra to what came before him. Jesus isn't like a supplement or an appendix to the Old Testament. No, everything that we read there all along was all about him. From the serpent crusher in Genesis 3 verse 15 to the greater son of David in 2 Samuel 7. All of history, especially the history of the Jews, was really all just preparation. Now, what the Old Testament teaches more than anything is that, that we should wait for him. And here he is. In John's Gospel, Jesus is there. In, Jude, in the Judean countryside, people are being baptized. People are beginning to flock to him. Uh, and in parallel, there is this guy, John the Baptist, who, who's been carrying out for quite a while a very similar-looking ministry. And so what is John's response? Uh, does he feel threatened by the competition of this? Uh, we already said this in chapter 1, if you were here. Uh, for John, there was no competition at all. Uh, this has been his approach all along. It's not about me. It, it is all about him. Uh, he says the same thing in verse 27, doesn't he? Uh, his disciples come to him asking, who is right? Is it, is it the Jews? Is it you? Is it Jesus? And look at his answer in, in verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. Uh, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. I've been sent to prepare the way for him. In fact, it's like, in one sense, John embodies the entire message of the Old Testament. And John actually uses a great illustration, doesn't he? It's a, an illustration we used a few weeks ago when we looked at John chapter 2. It's like a wedding, he says. Look at verse 29. Uh, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And now who is who in this analogy? Well, Jesus is the bridegroom. 
John is the friend of the bridegroom, the ancient equivalent to what we might call the best man. And who is the bride? Well, well, that's the church. It is God's people. In fact, John is really stealing this illustration from Isaiah or Hosea or Jeremiah. This is the picture of God's people in the Old Testament. If we can personify the Old Testament for a moment, we could put it like this. The Old Testament is like the father of the bride. The Old Testament has walked God's people down the aisle. And here he is, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is standing there, eagerly waiting, ready to receive her. Finally, the long-awaited Messiah is here. And, uh, and now for the best man to kind of muscle in to take the bride for himself, that would be, uh, well, bad form at least, wouldn't it? Uh, to say it's rude would be a very dramatic understatement. Uh, no, now the long-awaited Savior is here. John's joy is now complete. Uh, now that the Savior is here, he must increase and I must decrease. Uh, can you see how John is answering this concern? Uh, who is right? Is it, is it the Jews? Is it John? Is it Jesus? It's as if he's saying this, look, you followed my words for a while, but all along, what have I been saying? Well, what I've been telling you is that you need to follow him. Uh, he has the final word. Uh, why? Because he is the fulfillment of everything God had said. Uh, he is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the bridegroom who's now come for the bride. Uh, and what a vital thing to understand as we think particularly about the Old Testament. Uh, when we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it's, it's very easy to get bogged down by all of the details, isn't it? Uh, to keep all of those places and people and, and precepts straight. And of course, all of those details matter. That All those words are breathed out by God. But let's not miss the wood for the trees. Uh, everything God says in the Bible Everything God says finds, it, finds it, its ultimate end in him, in Jesus. All of it, all along, points us toward Jesus. All of it, all of it is, is about following him. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. That's the first thing we see here. But secondly, we could say that verses 31 through 35 actually step things up a bit. Not only uh, does Jesus fulfill God's promises, but actually Jesus is God. And so let's consider, secondly, how Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh. He's the fullness of God in the flesh. Uh, this is what sets him apart. Uh, and this is, of course, what we've been seeing from the very start of John's gospel. He is the eternal word, the eternal son of God. No one has ever seen God, yet uh, he, the son at the Father's side, has come to earth to make him known. Jesus isn't just another human messenger from God. No, in one sense, he isn't a messenger at all. No, he is the message. Yeah, it's like we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, what we find in that verse is a contrast between Jesus and everyone who came before. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And yet he goes on in verse 2, In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And we see a similar contrast in verses 31 through 35 of our text. Uh, firstly, there is a contrast between heaven and earth. Everyone else speaks from an earthly perspective, and yet Jesus speaks from above. Let me read to you from verse 31. Verse 31. Uh, he who comes from heaven is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. And now imagine for a moment that you meet someone and, and they tell you that they know all about England. 
They describe the geography. It's small. They describe the climate. It always rains. They tell you about the people. They're, they're all just so smart, so well-educated. Now you ask them how they know all this. How can they possibly be such an expert on England? Have they ever been there? Have they ever lived there? What do they know? Well, well they say, no, I've not been there. I've read a lot of books. I've watched a lot of videos. Well, that is like the prophets, says John. That's like me, John the Baptist. But not Jesus. No, he hasn't just read books about heaven. He isn't just giving us messages from God. Heaven is where he came from. He is from above. Just as I today stand before you as a real, living, breathing Englishman. Now, not to confuse England and heaven, to be clear. Uh, But Jesus is from above. Hopefully you understand the point. Uh, Jesus isn't just speaking about heaven. He is from heaven. He isn't just receiving messages from God. He is God, telling us about God. He isn't bound by our limited human perspectives. Uh, John draws this out with another contrast, doesn't he? We see this in in verses 34 and 35. Uh, Not only is everyone else from earth and Jesus from heaven, but everything else is partial, uh, and yet Jesus has the whole picture. Uh, You could think of it like this. All of the prophets, everyone who came before has been given a puzzle piece by God. Uh, The revelation they received was true and accurate. It was and is the word of God. Uh, But on its own, it's partial. By its very nature, it is limited. They they were given a measure of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and and through the Spirit they spoke the word of God. And yet the word they spoke, they spoke in a measured way. And yet by contrast, look at verse 34. He whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. That is, Jesus Christ provides the whole picture. Uh, Not only does he provide a picture, he is the picture. He's God's eternal son. He is the full and final revelation of God because he is God. He's from above. Everyone else is from earth. He is the whole message. Everyone else just gives an incomplete and and a partial picture. And this is surely one of the main things that sets Christianity apart from the religions of the world. In fact, it's something that sets Christianity apart from, from every other belief system. Every other system seems to be bottom-up, we might say. Everything else comes from earth. It provides man's reflection on God or or ultimate reality. Every other system is partial. It has to admit at the end of the day it is constrained by some sort of limited perspective. Never was this more true than in the sphere of science. Uh, Science has all the answers. That's uh, what many people seem to believe very naively. And yet the scientific method itself has to be open to new discoveries by very nature. It has to be open to the fact that new data could blow all of its current theories out of the water. But not Jesus Christ, no. All things have been given into his hand. He doesn't just bring one perspective, some reflection on what God is like. No, his perspective is the perspective. Why is that? Well, because he is ultimate reality itself. He is a reality that is more ultimate even than the universe. He is God himself in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises, and he is the fullness of God himself in the flesh. And if all of that is true, what conclusion do we draw from that? What's that big idea again? Why are we being told all of this in John chapter 3? Why is it so important to know all of these things about Jesus? What difference should all of this make to our lives? How should we apply this? 
Well, this is the big point. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises, and because Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh, what did we say at the start? Well, we said this, Jesus has the final word. Jesus must have the final word in everything. Because of all these things, he needs to have the final say in our lives. Uh, He needs to have a say in everything we do as Christians. Uh, Jesus is Lord. That's what Christians confess, isn't it? Uh, That means he has ultimate authority in our lives. And if that is true, we must give uh, full and final weight to his words in particular. Uh, You see, what all of this means is that Jesus should never, never be treated as just one voice among many. Uh, To put it quite bluntly, when Jesus speaks, all of us should be quiet and listen. Whenever God speaks in his word, we should say as Christians, that settles it. Uh, But is this how we approach God's word? Do we embrace the fact that Jesus has the final word? Are we eager to heed his word at home, at work, in our personal lives? Uh, Do we want to promote his word in our community? You see, all of this focus on Jesus' words here is not something I'm, I'm imposing on this. Rather, it's something that actually comes straight out of the text. Uh, the point isn't only that Jesus has final authority, but that he has the authority to speak. In fact, we see that reference to his words made explicitly. Uh, look down at verse 29 with me. Uh, what is it that the best man rejoices in, according to verse 29? Uh, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and sees him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's face. If you've been following, that's not what the text says, is it? No, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices at his voice. And in verse uh, verse 31, we're told, uh, what are we told about Jesus? We're told that he speaks from heaven and not from earth. In verse 32, we are told that he bears witness, something that points to his spoken testimony. And in verse 34, what does the fullness of the Spirit qualify Jesus to do? At verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he has given the Spirit without measure. And then in verse 35, that really seals it, doesn't it? What is it that distinguishes those that have life and those who face death? Uh, Really, it's what they do with the words of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe, no. Whoever does not obey the Son, whoever whoever does not hear his words and heed his words, that is the one who shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Uh, What do you do with Jesus' words? That's the big question here, isn't it? That's really the big issue. Uh, This is what John wants his disciples to consider, uh, and it's what God wants us to consider this morning. You see, we so often find ourselves in a very similar situation to John's disciples. Uh, We find this at home. We maybe even find this at church. Uh, We get caught in a discussion. Maybe we even use the same word to describe it, a discussion. And this could happen at home. I'm sure it would never happen in your home, but sometimes a friend once told me that people sometimes fall out. There can be conflict between roommates if you share a house, or I'm told, believe it or not, there can even be conflict in families. Who would believe it? There can become a battle of wills between mum and dad, between mum and the kids, or dad and the kids, or mum and dad and the kids, and, and maybe the dog also. And when that happens, what is the big question? In your home, who has the last word? Who wins? Is it mum? Is it dad? Is it the kids if they complain enough? 
If you've been around churches long enough, I think you'll know what the answer should be or perhaps what you think it should be. Surely dad is the head of the home. He's the spiritual leader. And if that's what you think, well, you should also know this. You should know who really has the last word or should have the last word. It's not mum, it's not dad, it's not the kids, and it's certainly not the dog, that's for sure. They all speak from earth. Their perspectives are all limited. For this reason, our arguments often turn into a game of tug of war, don't they? Just a battle of wills. Your will against mine, really a test of who can be most stubborn. Who is right? Is it me or you? Is it John or is it the Jews? Uh, Maybe we even try and bring Jesus into it. We we just uh, throw a few Bible verses in to suggest that Jesus is on our side. And yet here is the thing. None of us really has the last word, do we? Uh, No, really, there is only one person who deserves to be the ultimate authority in every family. And that person is Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ who's revealed himself in his word to us in the scriptures. And when we recognize his ultimate authority together, we could say it helps us drop the rope. No longer is it a game of tug of war. We can stop fighting with each other. It doesn't need to be a battle of our wills, a battle of who is right. Instead, we can come together and admit that that we're all limited, that none of us knows everything. In fact, we might all be wrong. There could be someone else we should listen to. Instead of following just uh, just the Jews or John, instead might it be better to point one another to Jesus? And how do we do that? It sounds uh, glorious. How do we do it in practical terms? Well, well, here's one way. We might even actually stop and ask him. We might stop and pray in the middle of that argument, as, as weird as it sounds. We might say, Jesus, help us out here. We're stuck. We're, we're, we're all fighting for each other's corner. We're trying to get the last word, but instead help us to give you the final word. Now, that might feel awkward to just kind of move into a time of prayer in the middle of a debate, and yet it would certainly dramatically change everything, wouldn't it? In fact, this is one of the reasons it can be so valuable to read God's word together in your home. I'll be honest, this is something we have gotten out of the habit of doing in our home. We tend to read something different separately, and that is good too, don't get me wrong. And yet, reading the scriptures together, maybe just a few verses each day, how does that help? Well, as we do that, God willing, we, we, we actually open our eyes and, and listen together to God speak. And maybe God will even address the specific concerns we have, our specific situations, our specific relationships. You see, when we get God's word open, we are often surprised to discover how relevant his word really is. Reading a few verses about some conflict in judges can provide some clear guidance on the circumstances you face. The book of Proverbs might provide you the wisdom you need. A parable from Jesus might well clear up that stalemate you've reached. You see, our attitude can be all wrong, can't it? We make it about you against me. It becomes a battle of who has the last word. It turns into a fight between the Jews and John, who is right, but... But that's all wrong, says John. Instead, we all need to listen to Jesus. Uh, We've thought about how that applies to our home, but we could think about how this applies to our work as well, couldn't we? Uh, How does it apply to our work? I mean, most of us, the majority of us, don't really work in a Christian context, do we? Are we meant to tell our bosses, look, I'd love to do that, but right now I'm listening to Jesus. He's my boss. He tells me what to do. If you want to lose your job, that might be a, a good path to take. 
And yet it is worth asking, who has the final word in the way you work? Are you working hard only when the boss is watching? And are you serving the real boss? Who is your real boss? Is it the one who put you in that place, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you following what he says about working hard, about working humbly, about not gossiping, about honoring those in authority? And what if your boss was to ask you to do something unethical, something wrong? Would you be willing to lose your job over such a thing? If Jesus Christ has the final word, that's exactly what you'll be willing to do. And we must give Jesus the final authority in everything. And finally, what about the church, since we're here? Uh, Who has the last word at church? Uh, Is it you, the congregation? Should we base everything we do on the results of the most recent congregational survey? I mean, this year we've certainly had a lot of them, haven't we? Or if it isn't you, maybe the final word goes with the elders. That sounds right, doesn't it? But maybe not all of the elders, maybe one elder in particular, maybe Chip or Dave or me. Now we should say there is a structure of authority within the church, just as there is a structure of authority within the family. And we should honor that. We shouldn't subvert it. But who has the final word when we're debating this or that program or discussing some topic in theology? When we're deciding what to do, we can be committed to doing things our way, can't we? And yet each of us has a limited perspective. All of us speak from earth. On the whole range of topics, I'm sorry to tell you, but on a whole range of topics, you're wrong. All of us are wrong. Uh, But how often do we subvert the word of God simply by claiming to do things our way? We subvert God's word in all kinds of ways, even by using good things, things like surveys or our own theological system or relying on something good in our upbringing. Uh, But instead of arguing for those things, we need to listen to what Jesus says. We need to give God's word pride of place. Uh, We need to distinguish between our good ideas and God's ideas. We need to distinguish between our limited perspective and preferences and the principles of the scriptures. But we need to be clear about who has the final word. And we have to do this at home. We have to do it at work. We have to do it in our church. We have to do it in our personal lives too when we think about our goals, the things we enjoy and pursue, the way we use our time, our money, and our talents. And we won't discuss those things now, but let me encourage you to discuss those things after the service. Uh, How should letting Jesus have the final word affect your goals, uh, the things you enjoy, the things you pursue, the way you use your time? Uh, Talk about that over coffee, over pretzels. Uh, But can you see what I'm trying to do by asking this question again and again? Who has the last word? Who has the final word? To whom will you grant final authority? Uh, This is what God wants us to consider this morning as we read his word, John chapter 3. He wants us uh, to repent, to repent of bringing Jesus and his words down to our level. Uh, He wants to remind us what Jesus says isn't just something to discuss. His word isn't just something to debate. And no, God wants us to know this about his son. He wants us to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all his promises. And he wants us to know that Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh. And therefore, he wants us to know that Jesus has the final word in everything. Jesus is the one who must have the final say. Let's pray, shall we? 
Father God, we thank you so much uh, for these words of, uh, of yours, uh, words of John the Baptist, words breathed out by your spirit. And Lord, we even pray that we would give these words their due weight. Uh, Lord, help us to submit to you, Lord. Expose in our lives the areas where we compete with you with our own opinions and perspectives. Uh, Lord, we thank you that in Christ you've given us your final word, that you fully revealed yourself to us in him. And so we pray that we might honor his words, that we might obey him, that we might serve him. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.